0: take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. Now I was thinking about Father's Day and I was thinking about even vacation Bible school and what, what tends to happen after vacation Bible school and just thinking about the Christian life in general. One of the things that I thought about as we think today what God would want us to learn is that as Christians and as people in general, we're pretty good at starting projects few months ago, I talked about finishing strong and mentioned that out of all of the cases in the Bible, there are very few that actually finish strong. And I thought about how in my life and in the life of people that I know that, that starting is rarely the problem. Every January 1st, people start new lifestyles, Right? Working out, or um, eating right, or stopping some habit, smoking, or something. And it's never the starting that is the problem. It's the it's the finishing, right? It's the end. It's the getting through it. And so this morning I thought we would look at how do we finish strong, finish the race. You see, I think that one of the things that we have in, in, in our country right now is we... Think about Father's Days. So we have a lot of fathers that start well. But I'm afraid we've got a lot of fathers that don't finish well. I mentioned that study that I referenced a, a few months ago. I found the study more in-depth, and it was interesting because they followed biblical leaders. And I don't know whether you know this or not, but and, and I don't know exactly how they identified this, but there are over a thousand leaders identified in the Bible. And one particular study took out of those thousand, took a hundred of the most prominent leaders, the names that all of us would know readily, and then they said, I want to see how many of them finish strong. Well, after looking at those hundred prominent leaders, they realized that Only 49 of them could really be studied in depth at the end of their life. And so they ended up with 49 biblical leaders. And what they found were four ways that people generally finished. First of all, people sometimes finished by getting cut off early. Now, what I mean by that is that their life ended too soon or their ministry was cut short. And so as a result, they never really got to see how they would finish. For those of you with Biblical knowledge, you could think of Samson or Absalom or John the Baptist. And then there were those that finished poorly. (laughs) That didn't finish well at all. Men like Gideon and Saul and Solomon. And then there was a large group that finished so-so. Kinda okay. A man like... David, who on his deathbed was seeking out revenge. And the smallest percentage were those that finished well. So this morning, whether you're a young person, a father, a mother, a grandparent, a young adult, I want to talk to us just briefly about how we can finish Well, Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse one, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now the author of Hebrews, who nobody really knows who it is, but the author of Hebrews seems to be writing to a group of Jewish Christians that began to wonder if it was all worth it. Is living the Christian life, living for Jesus, even worth it? Some of you here today are people that have been following Jesus for a long time. And there are moments in your Christian walk when you say, is it all worth it? There are some of you in this room that have never begun a relationship with Jesus. You've never begun to follow Him. You don't really know what that means. And perhaps today, even as we talk and as we've been singing and you've been in church, you wonder, what's the fuss all about? Is it all worth it? Well, these Hebrew Christians were wondering, is it all worth it? And so the writer of Hebrews is setting for them a plan. And he starts in chapter 11 by mentioning some great men and women of the faith. You know, chapter 11, you can just kind of glance back, is what some people call the hall of faith. The men we mentioned this morning in the song Days of Elijah, Elijah, Ezekiel, David, Moses, are men of great faith. And so he talks about how these men gave their life for a cause. And here's the interesting thing is, towards the end of that he says, "These guys didn't even get to see what we know now." And so for them, it was right sometimes to question whether it was worth it, but by faith, they kept on when it got tough. And for us who have seen what Jesus Christ did for us, it's even more important to hold on. But then in chapter 12, Paul, or not excuse me, the writer of Hebrews basically says, here's what you need to do to finish well. And the first thing that we have to do is we have to tap into, rely on, think about the support system that we have. We take comfort in our support system. Paul gives this picture of a big athletic contest. And Those days, this is the time when the Olympic Games, the Isthmian Games, big games were happening all over the Roman Empire, and they would be the games where people would gather in stadiums of several thousand. Places like the Roman Colosseum, and there were other places around. I know it's hard for us to imagine stadiums of 60, 70, 80,000 people. Anybody been to one of those? Anybody been to 108,000, a few miles east of here? Greatest place in the world. That's right. But there is a moment, for those of you that have been to a Tennessee game, there's a moment right at the beginning of the game, right? Before the game actually begins. When the band comes on the field and they play all those classic Tennessee songs, the pride of the Southland marches, And they get to the point where they march down the field and they form that huge T. And it's down the field, the official song of the Tennessee Volunteers, not Rocky Top, I know, begins to play. That T splits, right? And the team comes running out. Now, here's what's amazing about that moment. And it happens at colleges all across the place. It's not as good as Tennessee, but it happens in other places. The crowd goes nuts. You know what I'm talking about? You've been in a place like that? Maybe not there, but somewhere. The crowd goes nuts. Maybe for Kentucky it's basketball. Alabama football. But you've been in a place where the crowd just goes nuts. Paul no, excuse me. Some people think Paul wrote Hebrews. He probably didn't, but when you're talking about a New Testament book, you just talk about Paul. The writer of Hebrews, alright? The writer of Hebrews says that when we are in the midst of living this life, we have to remember that a throng of people, like a stadium filled with screaming fans, is cheering us on. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody in heaven's gathered around watching us, clapping for us. What it does mean is we have example after example from the history of Christianity to encourage us in difficult moments. Just like these men of faith in the chapter 11 who lived their lives without some of the knowledge that we have about Christ, we can take courage in what they did. Men like Polycarp who stood up to the emperor and when it was time for him to be put on fire, he said, just bow down to me. And he says, I cannot, I have not, and I will not. Do what you must. Men who have stood literally in front of firing squads, asked to to say that they no longer believed in Jesus. And in the midst of the most difficult circumstances, they say, I cannot deny my Lord. But it's not just those big examples. For me, it's family members that have gone before me my gramps and my granny. Gramps who's still alive, Granny who has gone to be with the Lord, that just constantly lived their lives for the Lord. Granny suffered with rheumatoid arthritis as long as I knew her. Always in pain. Had diabetes, had other problems, cataracts. Always in and out of the hospital for 20 years. And she still served the Lord. I remember when I was 8 or 9 years old, Granny was still teaching the 4 and 5 year olds in Bible school. Just serve the Lord. Now the truth is, some of you may not have that family tradition. And the writer's not trying to say, if you don't have that family tradition, then you're you're not as fortunate. The truth is, we have all of history to look back on. And he says, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And he says, if we're going to run this race effectively, we've got to notice that. We've got to take encouragement from that. We've got to be strengthened by that. But then here's the second thing. we got to get rid of distractions. He said, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. You know what's interesting to me is that in this passage, we have two kinds of distractions. We have those things that hinder and the sin that entangles. Those things that hinder and the sin that entangles. That's two different things. You see, most of us think that we've got to get rid of all the stuff in our lives that is bad. But the truth is, there are sometimes good things in our lives that become distractions and cause us to be weighted down. Now, Paul was, excuse me, the writer in his mind, was thinking about these games where people would run And that when you run in a race, you want as little weighing you down as possible. You may remember the Summer Olympics last year and all the swimmers, Michael Phelps and all of them. You remember the big uh, controversy that was before the Olympics that these new suits they had invented and that all these world records were going to be broken because of the suits, not the swimmers. And the reason was because the friction had been taken away, that they had removed any drag, well, In the writer's day of this, the games that he has in mind, they didn't wear suits. In fact, most of them ran um, all natural, all right? Got the picture there? Well, maybe not the picture. You understand, all right? He's saying you don't want anything holding you back. Growing up, my, my sport was baseball. And for a while, I was pretty good at it. I could hit the ball pretty well. I could field well. I had a decent arm. There was one problem, is that I was slow. Um, Well, that's kind of putting it mildly. I, I was really slow. That's not something I've outgrown, unfortunately. And my uncle just decided that the best way for me to get fast was to get me used to running with weights on So I remember going out in our backyard, and it was at the end of the season, which always ended around this time of year, the first part of July, and about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, every afternoon for about a week, my uncle would make me wear ankle weights. Now, my uncle was the assistant coach of my team, and he only has two girls, and so I was kind of his pet project, all right? And I would have to wear those ankle weights and run laps around my backyard. Now, first of all, Anybody been outside the last couple of days when it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon? All right. It's hot. Really hot. And I would put those ankle weights on and I would run. And what I remember that about that particularly is it was the most miserable experience of my life. That's what I remember. Now, unfortunately, we took the weights off. It didn't make me run faster. It just felt better, right? What the writer here is saying is we've got to get rid of anything that might weigh us down. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but I've been wearing a backpack. You notice that? I mean, if you've noticed that, let me just see. Okay, good. If not, I need to talk to you after the service, sir. And for some of you, it's been a little distracting that the pastor's up here wearing a backpack because you're going, what in the world is that for? Man, I know he's got it for something, but what it's for? And you may have even mentioned, I wonder what he's going to do with that. In my backpack, I've got things that represent things that might weigh you down in your life. Because I can tell you, it's, it's always a little warm on this stage, but even over the last few minutes as I've been speaking, it's gotten hot up here with this on my back. It just weighs you down a little bit. So for just a few minutes this morning, I thought we might take a moment of reflection and see what it is, those good things in your life that might be weighing you down. Let's see. Well, since I've already talked about it, Sometimes there are passions in our lives. It's Tennessee football. That if we give too much of ourselves to, can become distractions. Now, there's nothing wrong with this in and of itself. It's really not. Some of you think there is, it's not. But when we let it become too much, it can weigh us down. Now, you're going to help me out here, all right? In the scripture, what does it say we need to do with all of our distractions? Throw them off, all right? And so at the end of me talking about a distraction, you're going to say back to me, Lyle, throw it off. All right? You got that? Is that okay? Let's try it. You say it. Okay, some of you just said throw it off. Some of you just said off. Some of you said, Lyle, throw it off. Let's just say throw it off. Just make it simple, all right? I don't want to complicate things too much for you, all right? So on the count of three, throw it off. One, two, three. That's what we're going to do, all right? You got it? You got your part? Okay, so the first thing is passions in our lives. They're not necessarily bad, but they can be difficult. There's entertainment in our lives, you know? We got CDs, we got DVDs, we got MP3s, we got downloads, we got uploads, we got all kinds of stuff, right? And in and of themselves, entertainment is not bad. But when it becomes too much and it becomes a distraction, what do we need to do with it? What do we need to do with it? What do we need to do with it? I'll try not to hit you. Other people maybe, but not you, all right? Let's see what else. What's this? Church bulletin, right? Sometimes in our lives, what can keep us from really following the Lord is our faithful church attendance. Making sure we're here even when we don't feel like it, Want to be, but we're here because it's what we're supposed to do. Now I'm not telling you all to leave next week. I don't want 50 people here. All right. What I am saying is that when just coming to church becomes more important to you than your relationship with the Lord, then you've got something out of whack. Now, on the inside of this is an order of service that we rarely follow. Have you noticed that? That's okay. And there are sometimes things within the church that we become set on it being the way we want it to be that when it's not the way we want it to be, it becomes distracting to us in our walk with the Lord. And whenever just sheer church attendance or things being the way we want them to be interferes with our walk with the Lord, what do we need to do? throw it off. Sometimes trying to keep up with all the latest stuff and being cool can be a problem. Now these glasses are the coolest glasses I know. They're Diego glasses. And they don't quite fit my head. So you just have to imagine they're cool, alright? Sometimes churches fall into this. Sometimes people fall into this. Just trying to keep up with the latest stuff. The right clothes, the right music, the right stuff. And anytime that becomes distracting, what do we need to do? I'll get to y'all over here in a minute, all right. Gotta look down into my bag here. <laughs> <laughs> Confession will come later, Cliff. Sorry about that. Now this really represents more than just golf, which probably ought to tell you something, that this is a golf ball with a T on it and this is the one with the St. Louis Cardinal on it, so I'll tell you a little bit about me. But sometimes our extracurricular, particularly sports activities, can get in the way of our relationship with the Lord. Perhaps it's golf for you. Perhaps it's boating out on the lake. Perhaps it's baseball during the summer. Perhaps it's just the fact that as a family, your kids are involved in baseball in the summer, soccer in the fall, basketball in the winter, and then you try to squeeze in gymnastics or something else when you can. And before long, what you realize is that you don't play the sports, the sports play you. We live in a culture that is obsessive and addictive by nature. And sometimes it's very easy to get involved in the point to where it's a distraction to your walk with the Lord. And when it becomes a distraction to your walk with the Lord, what do you need to do? Throw it off. Some of the youth are about to get happy here. School! (laughs) Right? Amen? Give me that. All right. Let's say it this way. The quest for knowledge... All right? And I'm not just talking about school, although sometimes, now now, let me just say, and this is to the adults, youth can close yours, the problem with most of our youth is not that they're too into school, okay? But some people get too involved in figuring out stuff. I've been a part of churches and I've seen Christians that one of the things that I see about them is I'll find a Christian that can quote you verse and scripture Everything you want to know about the Bible, when they live their lives, they don't look very much like a loving follower of Christ. Because they filled their mind to the point where they've kind of disregarded what they're learning. And a heartless Christian is as terrible as a headless one. And so while it's important to gain knowledge... It's also important to make, you keep, make sure you keep it in perspective. At seminary, I, I run in occasionally to guys that think the program that I am in is not as good as the other programs because I'm actually spending time doing ministry. Now, they don't say it that way. They just say you're not spending all your time learning intellectually what you need to. Now, I just call that baloney, all right? And my prayer is, even as I'm pursuing a very high academic degree, that I hope someday they'll give to me. Just Maybe they'll just give it. My prayer is that I never forget that knowledge in and of itself puffs up, as Paul says in Corinthians. And so any time your pursuit of knowledge or school becomes more important than your relationship with Christ, what do you need to do? Throw it all. Okay, you don't have to duck yet, alright? Now, I'm not most of you probably realize I'm not very comfortable with this in my hand, alright? But this represents what? Work. I know that nobody in here has ever allowed their work to interfere with what's really important in life. But just in case, let's talk about the fact that while Scripture teaches us that a good work ethic is vitally important. It also teaches us it's not the most important thing. And there are many men especially who have given their lives to provide for a family, but they give their lives so much to work that they no longer have a family for which to provide. Men who have given themselves so much to work to fulfill the obligations that God has called them to, that they no longer acknowledge the God that called them to that. And any time in your life when the hours you're spending at the office or on the job become more important than your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is a distraction that you need to get rid of. Amen? And any time that happens, what do we need to do? Throw it off. I'm not that crazy. Two more things. Now, most of you, in fact, all of you have never seen this. This is our Brazil Fallen Deer Handbook, and this is what it represents. Not earlier we talked about coming to church, the things we like about church, but sometimes our work in the church, our work in the things of God can become distracting sometimes in our lives we can commit ourselves to doing so much for the Lord that we neglect having any time or relationship with the Lord. And so as a result, our good deeds, our good works become cumbersome, weighty when it comes to following the Lord. We're going to have a great trip and three weeks from today we'll be in Brazil. We're going to have an unbelievable trip, but what my prayer is for the Brazil team and for you that are involved in any kind of ministry. That if the ministry becomes more important than your relationship with Christ, you need to do what with the ministry? Throw it off. One last thing. What's this? Cell phones. Some of you need to stop texting so you can listen to me up here. We live in a connected world, right? We live in a world that at any moment you could be connected to people anyway. It's just amazing. This morning, on my computer, we, uh, we sent a team off from Inglewood and Jackson to Brazil yesterday. They had a little complication, not a big deal. And I need to get in touch with the missionary in Brazil. And so on my computer, through a program, I called the missionary in Brazil this morning and talked to him on my computer. We hope in a couple of weeks that in some way we'll be able to communicate back with you during our worship time from Brazil. It's just an amazing world, isn't it? And today, it's even more connected with things like Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn with cell phones and text messages, multimedia text and email. We can be connected all the time. I saw this week that that the average American worker spends 10 hours a week dealing with spam email. Now, the truth is, all none of that stuff is bad. But when it becomes something that kind of controls your life, it becomes a distraction between you and your relationship with the Lord. And anytime time that happens, what do you need to do? Throw it off. It says in Scripture, we ain't got to the second part yet. If there's anything in your life that's weighing you down, you need to throw it off. Now, I know it kind of defeats the purpose to put the backpack back on, but I just want you to imagine in your mind how much less this ways. And the truth is your life is much easier to run if you've got the distractions out of the way. Here's a second thing it says. Get the anything that hinders and then the sin that so easily entangles. The actual picture here, that's not a great translation, is of a pack of wolves surrounding its prey. And the picture here is that when we allow sin to continue in our lives, that it is literally like a pack of wolves have gathered around us and are steadily closing in for the kill. And all of that stuff I mentioned earlier its good stuff. It's, it's stuff that I'm not saying you've got to get rid of all that stuff in your life. What I'm saying is when it becomes a distraction to your walk with the Lord, you need to get rid of it. The sin in your life is never good. Not in moderation, not in a little bit, not for part of it. The sin in your life is never good. And if there is sin in your life, if there are places in your life that you are falling short of the glory of God, you need to get rid of it to throw it off. I uh, mentioned earlier the the study that had all these guys and some of them were cut off early and some finished poorly and some finished so-so. What's interesting is when they studied that, they found that the biggest cause of them not finishing well was giving sin a foothold. And there were three ambushes, these guys said. There was the ambush of infidelity, the ambush of money, and the ambush of a neglected family. And all of those are what contributed to their falling. And so let me just simply say this. If there's an area of sin in your life, you need to get rid of it plain and simple. Here's the last thing. Rid yourselves of distraction and then fix your eyes. Focus on Jesus. Verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Now what's interesting here is he then takes us through a progression of where we ought to fix our eyes on exactly what about Jesus we ought to fix. First of all, he's the author and perfecter of our faith. That means he was the beginning and he is the one that made it complete Who for the joy set before him. And it's almost like he's taking us through an image here endured the cross, and so we see Him hanging on that cross, dying for our sin, scorning its shame. We see those mocking Him at the foot, and yet Jesus is steadfast in His commitment to fulfilling the call of God on His life, to give His life on the cross. And then it says, when He scorned its shame, the idea is that He rose again from the grave on the third day, that He endured it, that He rose again victorious, and the last thing, and then He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What he's saying is, we don't have to live this life on our own. We can fix our eyes on Jesus. We can focus on who He is and what He did. And when we fix our eyes on one that has already lived the life that we're called to live, then we are given strength to finish well. Verse 3 is one of my favorite verses in Scripture. Because remember, he's writing to a group of people that are ready to give up. And it's not worth it anymore. In verse 3 it says, consider Him. Who's Him? Jesus. Who's Him? Consider Jesus, who endured such opposition so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. He says, if you're thinking about giving up, don't do it. Here's the thing that I know. That in myself, in my flesh, there is a very limited amount that I can do for the kingdom of God. But together with my Savior who now lives through me, I can make a major impact for the kingdom. The truth is that He carries me to places that I couldn't go on my own.